I am Sarah Riggs, and this is Invitation to the Species. This moment of our present invites us to pivot with a knowledge of the past and our feeling of the future. Nothing less than transformation is occurring to the often further detriment of many, to the contributed profit of some. And any transformation in deep and resounding positive directions depends upon movements, many of which are already well underway, even have been all along, and some which come from or are nudged by artists and intellectuals. So here we are, Tamas, the word for connection in Arabic, that has worked since 2004 between the US, Morocco, and France in film, poetry, and dance, translation, and with Moroccan girls. This is our new branch, Earth Arts Justice, and we have launched a series of podcast video interviews, sometimes with reading performances, with thoughtful members of our community of artists and people at large. We are asking folks to think about what thoughts of their grandparents' and parents' lives could bring to the present moment and how their own work and lives connect to collective ecosystems, health balances, and to our climate. Each participant receives one or more questions that is specifically connected to their work and experience. Welcome to Invitation to the Species. So we're sitting in Lois Elaine Griffith's garden in Fort Greene. Thank you, Lois, for sitting with me today. Thank you. I'm excited to talk with you. There are NYPD helicopters overhead that will probably continue throughout our Every day for the past month since yeah. the protests of Right. for uh, George Floyd have started up and today is Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. Agent Orange in the White House didn't know what it was about. Right. I remember as a child, my mother used to take me, they used to have at what they call anniversary day parade in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't sure why we would dress up. And back in those days, you know, little girls had their Mary Jane shoes, patent leather shoes and white socks and I had an organdy dress. And my mother would put me up and we go over by Lewis Avenue and for anniversary day. And I wasn't really clear until much later that it was really the celebration was for emancipation. Mm. It and used it to be called Anniversary Day. Yes, in Brooklyn, and then mm. they stopped it. Mm -hmm. But I remember they used to have uh, the bands from, actually from the churches. Because mm -hmm. you know, Brooklyn is a borough of churches. Mm -hmm. um, marching up, up the avenue, and we'd stand there, and oh, it was a celebration day. Mm -hmm. But you didn't know what it was for as a kid? Not really. Mm -hmm. Not till much later. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to you now? 
it means well i guess i i should celebrate it among other very special days for people of color mm -hmm. afro-americans and mm -hmm. afro-caribbeans because mm -hmm. i was thinking this week too uh my first time in barbados my father took me when I was in college, when I was at Barnard. Mm -hmm. And I know he must have saved up forever to go, because then air flares weren't like what they are now. And we went on the, the airline is defunct now, what is it, British Overseas Airways, mm -hmm. DOAC. And it was for and he didn't even really say at the time, but it was for the independence of, it was in 1966, when Barbados got independence from Britain. And that was the first time he had been back on the island since he left there. Oh, he was here, he must have come here a man in his 20s. <laughs> I was born and I was, uh, he was almost 50 by the time I was born. Mm -hmm. So this was the first time he had been back to the island since then. Yeah. And I remember we went Christmas. This was Christmas after the, the independence. And oh, there was such big celebration on the island. It was beautiful Christmas, Christmas time. Mm -hmm. I met, you know, cousins that I had heard about and got to meet at the time. And that must have been strange, too, because I was a, a student at Barnard. I was almost like my father's arm candy. Come in here. You know, this is what, see what I got? I went to the States all that time, and this is what I got. Right. And my daughter's in, in uh, Ivy League school, and here she is. Mm -hmm. She grown up. Look. Mm -hmm. I guess it was his way of telling them all, uh, see, I did well. Right. I did well. And I always felt a, a responsibility for that, mm -hmm. that I had to do, that I had to do, I had to continue doing well for, for him, father. for him, mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you hold that still? Like, do you still? Yes, mm -hmm. because one of his main teachings was always, you know, much has been given to you, you got to give back. Mm -hmm. Never forget, you have to give back. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how those kinds of lessons or mm, teachings from your from your dad and from your parents have come into your work, like your artistic work as a as a painter or as a poet. I guess, in as a visual artist probably subconsciously, more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's funny now to do our, our work, our archival work, looking at some of those old notebooks and drawings and things I'd done years ago and put away. And I, I set aside thinking about I was gonna earn my living as a visual artist, probably in my mid-20s. When I left Pratt, I was looking 
Well, you know, artists have a hard time anyway making a living. But I thought, well, I better teach. Right. You know, that's that'll always bring uh, bring some money. And then the visual arts became something just for me to do for mm -hmm. myself to for self-expression, even if I never showed them to anybody and most of the stuff I never did, mm -hmm. uh, because I needed needed the outlet. And I think teaching, well, for my father too, is a great way of giving back, mm -hmm. especially teaching in the New York City public schools is where I started teaching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then as I went on, um, in, in college at BMCC. I was there for so many years. Mm -hmm. So teaching was like your service? And yeah, it's continuing. a service job. Mm -hmm. It really is when you think about it. Yeah. Because, well, the first teaching, real teaching job I had was in a junior high school in Brooklyn, in Ocean Hill, Brownsville. And I didn't know whether I really was going to like it because at that time there had been a lot of civil unrest here in Brooklyn in the public schools and uh, IS 271 was one of those schools that were notorious for the unrest that went on and chaos inside the schools and I had this job as art teacher for these junior high students. And I remember I had to go out and buy materials right. for my students. I mean, come on, mm -hmm. the, the pittance that they were paying me, and still I got to go out and out of my own money, out of my own pocket. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to clean, clean up the, the room myself. They didn't even have janitor to provide those kinds of services. Come on. And... Uh, I mean, that's what the teachers did. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I will never forget, one of the teachers there, he was a social, social studies teacher. He went crazy one day. And uh, I remember peeking out the classroom, there was a whole kind of commotion in the hallway, and I looked out, and here come the orderlies with this man, taking him in a, away in a straitjacket. It was unbelievable. Uh -huh. um, people, I used to hear people say, well, you know, uh, he was never wrapped too tight. He used to, uh, he didn't really teach the students. He used to shoot craps in the back of the room with the students and play games and such. And then one day he must have just snapped and ambulance came, orderlies, straight jacket, took him away in the schools mm -hmm. and then everyone was oh okay that's over <laughs> to think of it now and the kind of attention it would have gotten in this environment mm -hmm. so different from then mm -hmm. i'm sure people thought of it as a, a kind of regular occurrence mm -hmm. but yeah social service do you think that his mental break was because of the school system that he was I'm sure, I'm sure. How do I get along with these students? And he was a white man. Um, I tell them anything I can, I don't know how to relate. 
as a teacher, the best thing I have found over the years is just to be yourself. Present yourself, faults and all. No excuses. This is how I am. I'm giving you me. You give me you. And demand that. Demand the most from the students. The most that you can. And they, you'll be surprised. They, they step up. Mm -hmm. And they respect you for that. So you were teaching in junior high for a while, and mm -hmm. then you were teaching at a college level, too? Yes. Then I was teaching in um, five years, I remember, in the 80s, in the early 80s, I was teaching at uh, Young Adult Learning Academy, which was a literacy program for students from who were taken from uh, community-based organizations around the city, and they would spend... The, the school was one of these old schools that weren't used anymore on 96th Street off First Avenue. Mm -hmm. And they would spend two weeks in school. It was an experimental program by the Board of Ed, the Department of Employment, and the Mayor's Office. And the man who was, uh, I guess you call him the principal, I remember, Peter Kleinbard, he was visionary in the sense that he wanted teachers who were doing other things too, besides just being teachers. Teachers who were artists or poets mm -hmm. or musicians or had other things to offer the students besides, okay, I'm your math teacher. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about five years. And then I went back to school and for graduate work, and then I, I started teaching in college. Mm -hmm. And was that around the time that you started going to the New Eurekan, or was no, that later? No, I started with the New Eurekan in 74. Right, okay. And that was, um, that was, how should I say, I guess it was a place where I felt at home. It was a community that we started of artists and poets. And Miguel, Miguel Algarin, so much of it was about community to, for artists, for just people to discover ways of self-expression and have a place where we could meet. It's funny, last night I, I finally got on a web uh -huh. <laughs> what did a you web discover? chat mm -hmm. and um, CUNY has is has these uh, the, the Sancocho last week I couldn't get it I didn't have it together until my cousin showed me how to do it mm -hmm. but this week they were talking about um, actually community too and I was thinking a lot about the cafe and listening to that kind of a sense of the need for it is still so urgent with people. And yeah. there was this young man, um, I think his name was Moche, Moche Lopez. Um, he was talking about how do we, how, how do we structure community? How do we create community where people can feel um, free to come and 
self-express. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So it, the need is still is still there so much, mm -hmm. but now that we have, and I think we're going to have this. Um, we've developed the technology and now we have the disease that makes us dependent on the technology for outreach, for building communities, at least for the foreseeable future. You're talking about COVID-19. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have to find ways to structure this, this community and make it feel immediate. How do you, how do you make it feel immediate without the interaction, the physical presence, the physical presence mm -hmm. you're being there. You're able to read not only, and I think maybe this goes back to forcing our understanding of how we read with people. We read not just with the five senses, but with something more. Mm -hmm. Because being in a presence of someone tells you a lot. Mm -hmm. You may not be able even to articulate it, but your feelings for that person, for the situation, mm -hmm. cues the mind to, oh, I, I'm going to be open to this, or oh, mm, uh, stop, mm -hmm. I'm gone. Mm -hmm. How do we do that with technology, or is it possible to do that with technology? I mean, you have the screen presence and you have the voice, but... That's only really two senses at play. How can we develop, or is it that the writing itself and sharing the writing itself can create situations in people so that they can feel, ah, I'm feeling this from this writing. Oh, this poem is moving me in this way and that, which is more than just the ear, or the the eye, the five senses. I mean, remember the Egyptians were way back in the golden age. They said we have more than just mm -hmm. the five senses. We have mm -hmm. 360. Mm -hmm. Where did they go? How did we lose all touch with that? Right. So maybe it is with the writing, the thing on the page that appears on the page, it may appear with the picture. Taking the words, when I take your words into me, it's going to make me feel. And that's the thing that the community of presence brings to, in part. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been wondering about I had someone describe it the other day as this great phenomenological loss that we are experiencing right now of not being able to be with each other in, in physical presence. And that that's not something that we can replicate through internet technology, but that we it also puts us in a position of necessity where we have to find other ways to be with each other and to transmit our thoughts or our sentiments or whatever it is to each other and so I wonder about what kind of pressure in a positive way that mm -hmm. puts on sharing something like writing for example where 
there's a real need for something to be communicated and we're not able to rely on it happening in maybe more passive ways of just being with each other. And correspondence too, letters. Right. You know I'm a letter writer. Yes. But even this at this time, um, there's a kind of intimacy when you're writing and you're not CCing it to everybody in the world. Mm -hmm. To one person, you share, these are my thoughts, I'm putting them here on paper. Mm -hmm. And I know you can't respond immediately to me, but when I get a return, ah, your words trigger something in me, a feeling in me, mm -hmm. that I feel, maybe you can't share it right away with me, but I'll write you back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very different kind of transference, because also once the letter is sent, it's out of your hands, mm -hmm. and you can't revise it, and you can't go back to it, you can't refer to it again, and it also this opens possibility for repetition or redundance or contradiction. The time and you really have to listen. I mean, listen internally mm -hmm. to what this person is saying. Mm -hmm. And are there things that this person is saying between the lines? I'm going to read that too. Mm -hmm. And then... I don't want the letter to be just call and response mm -hmm. kind of thing like you have in, in music. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to rely on what I feel and I'm going to tell you this is, this is how I'm thinking mm -hmm. and I'm sending it to you. Mm -hmm.